God, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. We thank you for a chance to gather together today, Lord, as a people along the way. Lord, each of us come in today kind of coming from, you know, different realities of the moment as well as different journeys of life and, and maybe even different understandings of who you are, of what you're like, Lord, of what our purpose in this world is, what our hope in this world is, and who Jesus is and what he's done. And so I pray, Lord, that right now, Lord, you would just still our hearts and our minds right where we are, Lord, that um, you would use this time God, just to, to speak to us through your word, by the work of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would continue to be changed more into your likeness, taking on more of your heart, more of your desire to see, Lord, the world restored in Christ, more of your desire to see people whole once again and, and, and walking in fellowship with you. So, Lord, we just surrender this to you, God. I thank you, Lord, for the chance to be a part of this. Lord, take the words that pass through my lips and do with them as you will. If they're not what you mean, Lord, uh, if they're not what you desire, take them and, and, and bring uh, truth to our hearts and minds. And, Lord, catch them aflame for your glory in our lives. So, Lord, we love you, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I think Andy already said it. This is one of our Vision Sundays a couple times a year in January and in September. We take a moment just to kind of refresh and reroute into kind of who we are, who we're called to be, what Christ has done in us, and how we feel specifically as a local congregation of the bridge are called to pursue the overarching call of Christ and, and the whole church, all those who are in Jesus. And so we want to take a chance just to do that, to root more deeply into who and how we are and how God has called us to do things. Uh, so just to kind of give you a, a kind of a, you know, a, a look into the future of what's coming the next couple of weeks, what's fun is that we're talking about us this week. Next week, um, Bob Rowley, who is our, 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 our denomination, the FCA, our district of Te Texas and Oklahoma, he is our director of church planting as well as uh, leading the, that entire area. He's going to be here next week uh, teaching on kind of why church planting matters, giving a, a biblical and a cultural apologetic of why we pursue that. Because if you don't know, we commit a lot of our resources and prayer towards uh, church planting. And so we want to know why that matters. And we, we were talking and we were like, hey, when was the last time we committed a whole sermon just to church planting? Because multiplying disciples of Jesus and multiplying churches is one of our core values. And you know what? I was like, I don't think we've done that since before we launched the church. We've talked about it, but we've never given a whole sermon to it. And so he's going to be here next week talking about that. And we'll even kind of see our, our opportunity and kind of what's the state of the world today and why it needs more churches. So that'll be exciting. And then after that, we're going to kick off teaching through Philippians. And we'll teach all the way through Philippians from beginning to end, every verse uh, between now and May. So it's going to be a great time. It's a great, uh, encouraging pastoral letter from Paul to the church and therefore for us as well. So that's what's coming. Um, and so thinking about today as being our Vision Sunday, one of our Vision Sundays, my prayer is that today is just this simple and, and clear time for us all to, to see what we've been redeemed to in Christ, if you have called on Christ and you're a part of this church, what we've been called to uh, as part of that redemptive work, and uh, what our opportunity is uh, together. So this is your first time. Maybe it's a fun opportunity. I'm glad it's good timing. Or if you're kind of new, this is a good chance for you to kind of get a snapshot of our heart and kind of even some of our methodology. Um, and, and so if you've been here for a while, if you've been around, I, I, I hope this isn't new. I mean, like, but I pray that also you don't check out because you've heard it before, because again, we need to be rooted. Also, the Lord is leading us in a very present way. And so even though we, our, our kind of overall heart doesn't change, 
because our community changes and because we're changing, often our, our kind of means do. And so, um, you know, I pray that God uses today to, to bring unity to us for the cause of Christ, as well as kind of catching our hearts personally aflame uh, with the love for God and appreciation and all for the work of Christ in our lives and a compassion for the lost. So I pray that that's what we get to do today. And, and so in each January on these Vision Sundays, we, we come to the same text. And that text is called the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, these are the last words of Jesus. And so this moment comes after Jesus lived his life, did his ministry, was, was crucified and died on the cross, was dead for three days, conquered death and was resurrected, then walked for 40 more days and, and taught and lived. And then this is him leaving, leaving us all. And, and, and so we come to these words. So these are his last words words. So last words matter. So let's read this and let's get to this. All right. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there's a lot here, a lot we could focus on, a lot we could work to unpack in these words from Jesus. Again, these are his last words, but as we of leaders have been talking and I've been praying, there's really kind of this, there's two things God is calling us to and, and that I feel like he's calling our attention to today. And, and when, we, when we think about, when we look at the Great Commission, there is, there is a trajectory there is movement in this teaching, in this command, in this word from Jesus. There is, there is momentum and direction in this command. You know, you see what Jesus says here. He says, in, this, in, in all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he's saying all of the purpose and all of the power that I came in and I came for, I'm now passing on to you, to those who were there and to the church to come. And he, he literally sets this charge in motion with one word. What is that word? It's go, right? And that is, this word go is a word of action. Again, it's movement. It's not stagnant. It's not stale. It's not passive. It is active, and it has forward motion. So as a matter of fact, to read this, this correctly, you would say, as you are going, as you are going, as you are doing what you do and everything, make disciples of all nations and all that comes after that. So, so what is this charge to make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them? What is this call to Jesus? What is he leaving us with? If he's saying, all of the power and purpose I came for, I'm now living to you, and this is how you're going to pursue and participate in this, what's he saying? So first off, in seeing the term disciple and the charge to baptize them, what we first off is see that, the, that this first call in our lives is to see the lost saved. To see those who don't know Christ come to know Christ. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. It is my heart that none would be lost. Right? So first off, we have to see that the, in, the, in the term disciple itself, because disciple means follower. And so to make a disciple of Jesus means to make a follower of Jesus. And to acknowledge Christ as Savior is not just saying I want the benefit of heaven. It is saying that he is worthy of being my Lord. He is worthy of following as my way of life. A disciple at the time was one who would 
insert with life, you look at how Jesus walked with his disciples and they shared life. They watched him. They observed him. They didn't just listen to him teach and then go about. They, they observed it. They caught it as well as heard it taught. And so it's to confess Christ, but then to follow Christ. And so we see this work of salvation here in this work of baptism. Baptism is a symbol of a life surrendered to Christ. And we see this, this imagery of, um, of, of, of the, the, the one who was brought to new life. As Jesus was resurrected, we're brought to life after they had died to their sin and death their old life. And that's why we baptize immersion in water, because it's, again, the symbol of being buried with Christ and seeing our old life, the one that has bound us in death, overtaken, made victorious, and raised to new life. And so, again, baptism, if you're going to baptize someone, what you're saying is we're going to see people go from death to life, see people go from hostage to free, see people saved in Christ. And so, we want to first and foremost see that this charge to make disciples, this charge that Jesus left us with when he says, what I came for, I'm giving to you, is to see the lost saved, to see the message of Jesus brought to the world. And secondly, it is to be a part of teaching and equipping the people of God to do his work in this world. He says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, not just as in this moralistic adherence way, but in a way of life that Jesus showed and taught. So it is those who have now confessed Christ we are now committing to come alongside to teach and equip. So we really need to drill into the reality that this is why the church exists. This is it. So this is the fundamental thing to, to see people saved and to, and to equip and care for and teach the church to follow Jesus. If, if all resources are stripped away, if the, the socio-religious economic climate changes, no matter what is taken away from us, this exists in the church. It doesn't matter. We get to pursue this. It's part of our calling. It's not contingent on anything except for just being claimed in Christ. This is the overarching call. So we need to drill into this because we can become really distracted. In our culture, living here where we live, I mean, church is an industry. There is a marketplace for it. Churches have become brands and commodities. And, and we are, it is so pervasive in the way that we think, it is hard for us not to kind of fall into the way we think of church. Churches, because of this, we, we can get distracted by trying to set ourselves apart or by making sure that we're like the rest, right? We can, we can easily lose sight of what success is and we can start chasing after the wrong things. And so you think about how easily it is to be distracted and start chasing the wrong things. What are some of those things, right? Like, and, and I know that for me, it's probably a little bit more like something I have to face because of, of like, in, in the position I'm in. But this is something I've seen in all of us. We, we, look, we look alongside us and we start per, like chasing after growing in number. And we look around and say, we're here, we're there, they're there, they're growing more than us. We're doing something wrong. They're doing something right. And we set our sights to now measure up to their growth pattern. You know, or maybe we start chasing after growing in budget. Well, they, you know, we would be healthier if we had more money. We would be, we could say we're more successful or more faithful if we had more money. We can chase after being the cool church that everyone, that everyone wants to be a part of. When your church's name is said, people say, oh, I've heard of you. That's a cool church. Can I come with you? Like, we can get caught up in that. We can chase after being the simple church that doesn't get caught up in being cool. 
right? Like it's, it's just perilous. Like it's really difficult for us in our sincere pursuit of purpose and our sincere pursuit of the passion given us in Christ. These things are little sneaky little things that can distract us and cause us to chase after the wrong things. So, so where, so, so he, you know, here in the Great Commission, what do we see Jesus charging us to chase after? This is what we want to answer today. And just, I'm going to give it away right here. Here it is. The two things that we said that we're, that we're pursuing today that Jesus leaves us with. We are to be a people that chases after Jesus and chases after people. And man, I, I, I pray that today, that like this just kind of wrecks our expectations, turns our world upside down, changes our thoughts of why we exist, and we think about what it means personally and collectively, what it means to chase after Jesus and chase after people. And I tell you, if you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I believe all this, or I know I don't believe all this, I, I just want to kind of invite you and encourage you to consider that there might be something here for you as well. Um, because, again, if the, if, if the underlying kind of foundational assumption is that God is the creator of all things and there is one true God, and, again, I know that that's a premise that could be argued, but that's what we would believe and what we hold to. There is one true God, and there, he is holy, and he has called a people to be his, and he wants to restore them, and he does that through Jesus it matters. And if you are longing for anything, if you're longing for belonging, if you're longing for peace, if you're longing for restoration, what, what I would submit to you is that Jesus is the only way that you will experience any of those. And so whether you are a confessed Christ follower or whether you are not, I would say that this is an opportunity for all of us to chase after Jesus and then to chase after people. And this is actually what our mission statement calls us to, which our mission statement says this, we commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God. We commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God. So we pursue Jesus, right? This journey is one that is with Christ and toward Christ, as well as being intentional to bring others into that journey with us. So we see that even in this, funda this foundational, overarching call to everything, chase after Jesus, chase after people, that's what we have set our hearts, our lives, and our purposes to as the bridge Montrose. So real quickly, why do we chase after Jesus? Like, why does it matter? Why is it an ongoing pursuit? Why is it constant, unending? And first we see, just foundationally, we chase after Jesus for salvation, right? Like as you are pursuing, again, those things, as you're pursuing a sense of wholeness and freedom and peace and, and, and love and belonging and, and kind of an understanding of why you exist, again, what we will see if we play this out is that it resolves in Jesus. Jesus is our way to salvation. He says in John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father. No one experiences salvation, restoration, redemption, except through him. Look at how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul also says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. So make no mistake, if you're sitting here today and like as you hear any of these texts or you hear our mission statement and, and you say, well, that's me. I'm part of the we. Like, praise God he's done that work in you. But man, I pray that we would never lose sight that we were once not the we. We were once the one who was bound in sin and death. We were the ones who was the out, we were at once the one who was the outcast, the one who was seeking without any understanding and knowing. Right? And and here we are, we see. So I pray that that even in those who have called on Christ, there is a continual pursuit of reminding what Christ has done for you and your own salvation. And then also understanding that if you are here, this is an opportunity for you. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to bring you in and restore you. So our, salva- our, our pursuit of chasing Jesus is one that starts with pursuing our own salvation and redemption. And next we need to see that Jesus, we pursue, we chase after Jesus for strength, for endurance, for peace, right? We've looked at this passage before, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in this life of once we surrender our life to Christ, it is not all, it's not all rainbows and unicorns, right? Like, that's not how it works. It's not that all your problems are solved, nothing goes wrong anymore. Because one thing we know for sure, one of the things we are promised in Scripture is that there will be trials. When the, tri- when the trial comes, not if the trial comes. We know that there is hardship in this life. We live in a beautiful but broken world. A world that God created, beautiful and perfect, but one that has been marred and has fallen and is broken. And we live in that world and therefore there is death, there is destruction, there is evil, there is oppression, there, are, there is outcasts, there, are, there is suffering. And so just observing that's tiring, then the way that we live in our humanity is tiring. And then you put alongside this that we have the eternal cause of Christ placed on us as part of our purpose in this world and all of a sudden something is expected of the eternal from us that are not eternal, that's tiring. So what is true, what we know, is that we will face times when we have nothing left. When we are brought to the end of ourselves, and praise God, what he says is that it is in our weakness that his strength is made perfect, and what Jesus says here is, come to me, I will give you rest. And he doesn't say you get rest by ejecting from responsibility, by, from ejecting from, by ejecting from what you've been created for. That's you acting as your own savior. He says, I am your savior. I am your giver of peace. And so therefore you come to me because you will be the one who labors. You will be the one who carries burden and I will give you rest. And here to make it clear, take my yoke, which yoke is an apparatus of labor. He says, and learn from me, watch me. And I, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And saying, follow me, be about what I'm about, and I will sustain you. And again, our faith, our, our faith in Christ is one of identity and not just activity. And so therefore, it doesn't waver. You can't change your identity. You can't say, well, I'm not going to be this for this time. I'm not, which means I'm not going to do this because it's identity. 
And so therefore, because of that, it carries through all seasons and circumstances of life. So while how we engage the purpose in our life in Christ may change, we still have a call. And this is how we can keep from getting burned out. Again, because if we try to do it in our strength or our wisdom, we will burn out. And we will have to tap out. And we will be these intermittent kind of tortoise and hare kind of thing going on. We will be the hare who sprints and sleeps, sprints and sleeps. And the sleeping here is not the one of rest. It is the one of lethargy and, and, and neglecting, again, your purpose. But this is how we keep from getting burned out. Our, when our take runs out, Christ promises, as you follow him, he will sustain you. As you step into the purpose of your life, he will give you rest as well as strength. So we pursue Jesus. We chase after Jesus for salvation. We chase after Jesus for our encouragement, strength, and peace on the daily. And lastly, we need to chase after Jesus if we are to live out our deepest purpose. We, we cannot, exp- and again, some people like think a lot about their purpose. Some people don't. But I, I, all of us find satisfaction in life if we feel that we are expressing what we were created for, regardless of how you define that. And what we know is that if we believe what Scripture tells us is true, then every one of us have one greatest, deepest purpose, and that is to fulfill our purpose that we were created for by a holy God that has been restored in Christ. And again, Jesus made it clear what that is. It's all authority and heaven has been given to me. I'm now passing on to you. All of my power and purpose is being left to you for you to continue the work that I came for. So we cannot do that unless we chase after Jesus. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I have nothing to offer except the part of me that is pursuing Jesus. That is where I can, again, we, we can bring value to the world around us with just very tangible things, and that's great. We're supposed to. We were created with those, with those capacities on purpose. But yet, as far as the greatest things that matter in this world, they can only be impacted by the part of us that follows Jesus because that is the greatest need of all. First Corinthians, I mean, Colossians 1, 27 through 30 says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So we are to pursue to live for the glory of God. That's our hope. That's our, that's our opportunity. And God is glorified in this world when he is shown in this world to be good, Glorious, true, compassionate, kind, patient, gracious, merciful, just, all that God is. Anytime he is shown to be those things in this world, he is glorified. God is glorified when the world gets to see him as he is. Jesus came to give testimony to that very glory of God and to fulfill his promise of redeeming his creation and restoring a people to being his glorifying image bearers once again, fully. And so we, as we get to reveal the glory of God to the world, which, by the way, is the way of hope for the world. Because, again, if you are confronted with the glory of God, the true glory of God, when we experience the glory of God, we are brought to an opportunity. We're brought to the moment of saying yes or no. And, man, that sounds harsh, but how much worse is it to never get the chance? 
right? And so God is working in a way that through his creation he makes himself known. We see that in Romans 1. But also it's even made to be more vivid, more obvious through the body of Christ. Just as Jesus came to do, now it's left to us that you are to be the, you living unto Christ and Christ in you is meant to be the opportunity for the hope of glory in this world. Because as people are encountered with the glory of God, they then have the opportunity to surrender their lives, be restored, redeemed, and made new, and be, again, God-glorifying image bearers. Therefore, God being glorified, as well as having the opportunity for more people to do the same. Right? Does that make sense? I felt like I was talking in circles a little bit, but it's exciting. Like, this is, like, does it amaze you that you get to do that? Like the, and again, it's all God's glory, it's not yours, but that somehow God has made it to where you get to be the one that he works through to bring his glory so that the world can know he is, so that the world can be redeemed, so that the world can be made new through Jesus Christ. Because when God is seen as glorious, he is seen as worthy. And when he is seen as worthy, his truth is acknowledged as, as that. And when his truth is acknowledged, that people surrender. When people surrender, they find life and salvation. So we get to reveal the glory of God to the world when we follow Jesus. Jesus showed us the way it says. He says, I, he says follow me as I taught you, teaching everyone with all wisdom. We get to do the same. So Jesus is our hope of glory, and because he gives us strength and shows us the way to live out our identity and our calling we get to do the same. So we chase after Jesus for salvation. We chase after Jesus for hope, strength, and persevering peace in the daily. And we strive, we chase after Jesus to see our deepest purpose fulfilled in this world and God's deepest purpose fulfilled in this world. And so quickly, what does it mean to chase after people if we see this all boils down to two things, chase after Jesus and chase after people? And man, like, Again, let us pray that this is what we become and grow in being all about. It means that we claim the responsibility of the well-being for those around us. To chase after people. Again, all that was given to me, I'm given to you. Jesus came to restore creation. He came to bring it all back together. So we're saying, I am now going to look around me with the same eyes that Jesus did, and I'm going to take responsibility for the well-being of those who God has given me within my reach of influence. So when we say well-being, of course, we're talking about a spiritual well-being, because that's what matters most. Jesus said, what does it profit someone if they gain everything there is to gain in the world and yet lose it all in the end when they lose their soul? Like, what does it all matter if it's all thrown away at the end? That's what he's saying. So when we think about the well-being, we're talking about the spiritual journey of everyone around us. And it means that we fulfill what we see us described as in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. We are a priesthood of believers. Before Jesus... There was, there was appointed a high priest, and that high priest would represent God to the people and the people to God, would go and make sacrifices on behalf of the people to make them, to atone for them, and to make them presentable as God's people so that he could commune with them, right? So as the priesthood of believers, now in Christ, the one who has now made God known and brought us fellowship with him without an intermediary, we get to do that very work. We get to each share and take on the responsibility of the cause of Christ. 
to bring God and his people together through the work of Christ. I want to look at a little more context of the verse we read in 2 Corinthians 5 in just a moment. But we think about this as the priesthood of believers taking responsibility. It starts with one thing. It starts with chasing the lost. When we think about chasing people, first we're chasing those who don't know Christ. And I pray that that in each of us that we claim the lostness of the geography around us, of the areas that we live, work, and play in, that we would see that as each of our opportunity. This is the first step of making disciples. You can't make a follower of Jesus if they don't trust Jesus. So we are to bring the glorious good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, to the world through word and deed in a way that prayerfully every man, woman, and child has an encounter with him every day. That's our opportunity. And so our prayer is that we would, as we chase after Jesus, we would also find ourselves chasing after people just as he did in first office to seek and save the lost, to see those who don't know him come to know him. And so 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, here he's defining what he just said, Christ, God, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So God, at great expense to himself, sent his only son, Jesus, into our need, to meet our need, to restore and reconcile us back into fellowship and right standing before him. And he said, not counting our sins against us, and then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we see that this work of reconciling us back to God was done for us in Christ, and now we see that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, I'm now given to you, and in this ministry that you experience, I'm now giving to you so that you can be an ambassador of me, doing what I did, representing my, my cause and my purpose in bringing others back to me. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ. And he's saying, like, this is meant to be kind of the, the impulse of our life with great even with great anguish, with great urgency and passion, crying out to the world, come to Christ, be reconciled. Just as Jesus did with the same urgency, Jesus cried out with great display of love and sacrifice on the cross. We are to have that same kind of care and opportunity. We have that opportunity and that call. So we chase after those who need to know the loving, redeeming work of Christ. We take responsibility for that gospel need around us in our places of work, living, and playing. Next, we chase after each other as the family of God, and this has two facets of it. So chasing after people is chasing after those who need Jesus. Next is chasing after those we've been called alongside, and this is both in the capital C, all of the church under Jesus, as well as us in particular, the bridge. We chase after each other as a family. And first off is that we're called together and therefore we're responsible for one another. We see a great picture of this in Acts 2, 44 through 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so we see this very tangible and present care for one another. We are meant to do that for one another. 
And man, I pray like that we, that we don't miss this opportunity and we see that that is such a beautiful picture of how God has created and called us to be. That we see the needs in each other's lives and step into them without hesitation. And this is something that we have to have grace upon and patience upon and lead out in and not wait for it to be shown to you so that you will show it to someone else. Be the one who God uses to awaken that kind of heart and cultivate that kind of culture in our midst. So we take, we take responsibility for each other just in care and in loving for one another as well as in taking responsibility for each other's spiritual growth. Right? And we see in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 that there's this image of us being the body of Christ and that you need every part of it for the body to work wholly and effectively and that every part, neither, not, not one part has more dignity than the other, not one part has greater worth than the other, but every part has its unique purpose and its unique way of contributing to the health and, and, and impact of the church, the body of Christ. And we see in Ephesians 4 that God shows us that God equipped each of us uniquely just as we are for this purpose, to build each other up for kingdom work. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, which, by the way, those aren't just a few leadership positions. Those are leadership characteristics gifted and wired into you by God that each one of you has to, to varying degrees. And so he's given these to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So that's every one of us. That's not just the, the, us elders. That's not just our staff. That's not just your group leaders. That is every, anyone who was called on Christ. It's our conviction that every Christ follower is a disciple maker, meaning that every person that is in Christ that has been saved by him has the call and the capacity, meaning that today you are equipped, you are capable to come alongside others and share your journey in Christ with them in a way that God uses for their salvation as well as for their ongoing transformation. You have that opportunity, that call, that gifting, and that responsibility. Every one of you, if you have called on Christ, that's our conviction. It's also our conviction that every disciple maker is a missionary with a mission field to claim. So again, claiming the lostness of the geography of your areas of work, life, and playing. And so we see this playing out. So, so I pray that as we marvel at the grace and love of God that we've experienced in our own salvation through Christ, that it would catch, again, it would stir up our hearts daily. You know, we see whenever it says that Jesus had compassion, that it was always, some, it says he was moved with compassion and it resulted in his action. And so as Jesus looked around him and he saw the need of the world around him, he was always moved to action, and I pray that we would remember that work that was done in us and that that would birth compassion that would lead us to action and chasing after those who need Jesus as well as chasing after one another, caring for, loving one another, and building each other up. That is our opportunity as the bridge. That's what we've built ourselves for. We, we don't have any frills. We don't have any other infrastructure to kind of create some kind of semblance of being something we have the body of Christ committed to this way of life. That's how we get to do it. So it's a simple thing to say we exist to chase after Jesus and chase after people. But it's also huge and daunting and intimidating and tiring and terrifying. Um, and because of that, 
there's one more thing that matters, and it reminds me of this new record that was set back in October. It's always been thought that it is humanly impossible to run a marathon, 26.2 miles, in less than two hours. We've been inching up to it uh, sometime in the past year. Someone ran like a two-hour and one minute, but it's been humanly impossible. And finally, one of the world's elite runners, maybe the most elite runner, Eliud Kipchoge, they decided, some people came around at him and said, we're going to break that record. We're going to break the two-hour barrier. And they did this concerted effort. They did all kinds of studies, like this whole team of trainers to coach him, research to find kind of the best route. They found it in Vienna, you know, and then they had this whole team for the day of. They had the route marked out. They had a, they had a pace car that drove the perfect pace to break two hours, and it had this, la- this projected laser on the ground behind it that, that created this box. And as long as the runners stayed in the box, they would achieve the mark of beating two hours. But it didn't stop there. There was also, Nike developed this, this shoe that conserves every bit of energy to where he's wasting no energy. Then he had a team of 41 pace setters. And by the way, he did break the record. He ran the, he ran the marathon in one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds. Just to put that in some perspective, that's over 13 miles an hour for 26.2 miles. To put that in perspective, that's just over four and a half minutes a mile for 26.2 miles. My fastest mile in my entire life when I was 16 years old was six hours and 28 minutes, and I was greatly motivated by getting to get out of conditioning for basketball. And if, and if you ran it in less than six and a half minutes, you got to skip conditioning. And I tell you what, I was motivated. And I ran it, and you would have thought I ran, the, I broke a two-hour two barrier because I crossed that line, and I collapsed in dramatic fashion, and I did it. That's my fastest mile ever. I'm not fast. My, my stepdad used to yell at me when I was playing baseball and I was rounding first. He would say, unhitch the trailer. So I'm not fast. <laughs> so all true. And it's true. Like, in, in Kipchoge himself, he said, there are no human limits. And man... It's amazing. I don't care what they can do. Oh, by the way, these, these 41 pace setters, they ran in teams of seven, five kilometers at a time. And they would run with five in the front, two in the back. The five in the front, if you've seen Mighty Ducks, there was the flying V. Now invert that. They would run in that formation to break all the wind and, create, and, and reduce as much draft as possible. And so, again, so he had a team around him. He could not have done it without this team. I don't want to take away from what he's done because that is astounding to run that fast in the most perfect, pristine conditions. I don't care who you are. That's amazing. But he could not have done it alone. He could not have done it alone. It was a daunting thing, a great accomplishment and a great purpose, and he did it, but he could not have done it alone. And this is just a vivid picture of the call of the church. We have something even more amazing and more daunting we are called to, and we can be a part of seeing happen. We can see heaven and earth move for the salvation of people around us. We can see a church that is thriving, that is healthy, that is growing and building up each other. But yet, not one of us can do it on ourselves, not even a few of us. It takes the body of Christ. And so we have this beautiful opportunity we are called to this huge mission is far beyond us, any one of us in every way. And as we walk by the power of the Spirit, we're also called together as the priesthood of believers. So just practically, I want to show just for a few minutes a couple of, like, how we do that, you know, just as the bridge to close. And, and 
I, I toyed around like how deep to go with this, and I'm just leaving it kind of on the broad strokes, and you, we can dig in deeper from there. Um, but, you know, first off, I want to tell you that the leadership of the bridge, again, I've already kind of laid out those layers, right? We have the elders, we have the staff, we have the group leaders. Like, we are committed to this. We're committed to focusing all of our efforts and resources, all of our kind of leadership kind of, kind of drive and direction towards this, towards seeing the Great Commission carried out by the whole church. Not just say, hey, we want to pursue the Great Commission. It is by us, those called together, that we would see the Great Commission carried out by the whole church and not just a few people, not just kind of through programs, right? We have programs. This is a program. Groups are a program. They're not bad, but we, but then here's the other thing. We committed that these programs, these things that we, that we institute and kind of offer, that they, that they uh, exist for these reasons, to equip and support the disciple makers of our church instead of merely, again, kind of creating religious activity or spaces for people to participate in and check off kind of their religious kind of box. So we can sincerely say that all the things that we've created, all the things that exist kind of as a part of the bridge, we can ex- say a couple things. One, we've really tried to hone in on like, what is the fundamental expression of our identity in Christ? It is that we are prayerful people, that we gather together. Again, like we can go look at Romans 9. We can look at Scripture and see these pictures. And we've committed that these, these opportunities are things that would, that would exist. We gather together to worship. We gather together in fellowship. We gather together to love and support one another. So we can say that gathering together like this is something that believers do. Gathering together in our home, something that Christ followers do. Serving together, something that Christ followers do. And it's funny because as a staff, last year we looked at like how many things, how many days on a calendar have something to do with the bridge for our average kind of committed person in the church. And it was a high number. We were like, gosh, this is, a little, is this bad? But then we realized like the majority of them are those things. Like, high, like 90% of them are just like gathering together in those ways. So we've committed that. Secondly, we can sincerely say that all the things we've created exist for at least one of these three reasons and maybe more than one at times. But one is to bring, uh, to create space, to bring the message of the saving work of Jesus to those who need it by creating a, a, a way for lives and relationships to overlap and develop. Because what we know is that for an unbelieving world, they need to taste and see. Not just hear, not just be told what they should believe or think, but they have to taste and see and experience. So we try to create space. So we, again, everything we do, we try to have that kind of posture, and then we have a couple of outreach events a year that are meant to kind of aid in kind of creating space for those kind of relationships. So again, one is to create space for lives to overlap for those who need to experience the gospel of Jesus through gospel community. Um, two is to create space for the body of Christ, the family of God, to love and care for one another. And then three is to create space for the body of Christ to equip and build each other up for kingdom work. So we've committed that anything we plan and do is going to fit at least one of those three and oftentimes more than one of those three. So as you continue your journey of faith in Christ, or maybe if you're still seeking this out toward Christ, we want to invite you to these opportunities, right? And so first, again, you're here. We do this, one, to build our unity as we gather together to revel in the goodness, love, and glory of God. Then also in doing this, it gives us a greater picture of a greater context of who we are, of what the church looks like, that we are not all the same, and that's by design, that we have different opportunities of where we live, work, and play. That's by design, and it gives us a greater context of the opportunities in our world. So we gather here uh, to worship God and to see that. 
and just to enjoy kind of a bigger expression of worshiping together. Second, we do transformation groups, uh, and those spaces are really kind of where we can build relationships, have a community of care. It's really kind of where our pastoral care happens. It's also where our mobilization to ministry is meant to happen. And so, again, that's why we do groups. And it's where we care for one another, where we teach one another, where we encourage one another, where we hold each other accountable. Um, but, but even there's a limit to that, and so we encourage every person to be in kind of discipling relationships, relationships of the, the one-on-one, the one-on-two, where we are, are, are choosing true vulnerability and accountability, you know, even beyond what we can do in a group of, you know, 10 to 12, and then also more specific teaching God's truth in one another to inform our minds and transform our hearts and bring fruit to our lives. We believe that both of those can most acutely and effectively happen in that one-on-one and one-on-two. So that's why you'll see, we say, hey, we, 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 we want to share, we, we want to gather and worship together, we want to gather in, in groups together, and we want to see personal disciple-making happen. We say we want to share life, share serving, and share worshiping. And so, that's our opportunity, and then we also, so just thinking of some ways in which we've laid out as I wrap up, um, you know, if, if you're, we, we want to see the older seeking out the younger, and of course, like, we automatically think about age, we look at our church, we don't have a wide variance of age, we're praying for more variance of age and more variance of diversity of all kinds, and that's going to come through the, 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 the work of the gospel that crosses over lines and calls us beyond comfort, um, but yeah, it's, if you have more life experience, that's great. But we're also just thinking spiritually, too. And, and even in our narrow kind of age gap, we have great opportunity spiritually for those who have been walking with Jesus for a while to see those that have come in new to the faith and say, hey, I want to share the journey with you for a while. Or if you're younger, don't be afraid. Be bold and go to someone that you know that's been pursuing Jesus longer and say, hey, c- can we walk together for a while? I would love a guide. You know, like that, that's an opportunity for us. We want to see that. The responsibility falls on those who have been walking with Jesus longer. The mature is always the one expected to carry the responsibility, right? And then just to kind of give you a couple of signposts along the way, we want a, a healthy church is one that is healthy in God's truth. We want to have a good foundation of who God is. His truth is revealed by the word. And of course, just being in the word together is one of the things that's most important. That's why in our groups, we spend two weeks a month just being in the word together. The other two weeks, one is a dinner meant for fellowship and bringing others in. And the other one is prayer, meant to bring our heart before God and asking for him to work through us. Um, but also we want to have kind of a common unity. And we use a book called Visual Theology that we wrote a study guide with. It's not a perfect book, but it's a great, it is rooted in scripture. And it's a good way for us to kind of get all the main, the main things. So we want to encourage you, if you haven't been through Visual Theology, ask your group leader or someone that's walking with you that has to help you and find someone to walk through it with you. If you have been through Visual Theology, be looking for people around you that are new to our church. It is first things, it's the first things opportunity, either first things of faith or just kind of as they come to our church so that we can live in unity. And then we've also developed this list called the first five and it's on our website. And it's like, if you're new to faith or if you're walking with someone that's new to faith and you don't have a way forward, we've kind of laid out five books that are rooted in the word that can help you build a solid foundation of who God is and what it is to follow Christ in this world. And think like years, like this is a journey of lifetime and we're thinking like walk alongside each other for as long as it takes. And so like to say there's five books, it will probably take a couple years to walk through them all if you do it well. So um, anyway, those are some opportunities. Lastly, I want to say too, because I know like we want the heart as well as the opportunity. Um, We also do what we call DLCs, disciple making learning communities. And 
It is because, again, we are the priesthood of believers, and we want to equip our people to be disciples of Jesus, which also means you're disciple makers. And so what the DLCs do, they're 12-week intensives to help equip our church to know how to disciple people to Jesus, to be able to come alongside someone and understand where they are spiritually, understand what is the next opportunity in their journey. How can we walk alongside exposing them in the right ways, little by little, step by step, to Jesus in a way that they now become self-feeding um, you know, mature followers of Christ as we see exhorted in the word. And so if you're interested in those, um, if you've been through a DLC, raise your hand. Cool. Raise them higher like you, like you enjoyed it. Um, look around. These people have been through them. You can ask them questions. Feel free to ask me a question. Kurt went through them as well. Um, there you go. Good job, Kurt. Um, and uh, and uh, we, we want to invite these. Again, this is, this is about teaching you how to disciple others. And so it's a six, group of six to eight in a 12-week intensive. Okay, so now I want to bring us back to the heart to finish as we're a little bit over time. But, you know, we want to chase after Jesus. And as we do that, we'll find ourselves also chasing after people. And so what we see what is first and foremost is Jesus. We need Jesus for our salvation. We need him for our hope and peace every day. We need him for our strength, and we need him for our purpose. And so I just want to close. My closing prayer is going to be this prayer from this book of prayer called The Valley of Vision, written by a bunch of people a long time ago. It's going to be this prayer called The Gift of Gifts, the greatest gift of all, Jesus. And we're going to close, and then Kurt will lead us in a time of communion. So this is our closing prayer. O source of all good, which is God, what shall I render to you for the gift of gifts? Your own dear son, begotten, not created, my redeemer, proxy, surety, substitute, his self-emptying, incomprehensible, his infinity of love beyond the heart's grasp. Herein is wonder of wonders. He came below to raise me above, was born like me that I might become like him. Herein is love. When I cannot rise to him, he draws near on wings of grace to raise me to himself. Herein is power. When deity and humanity were infinitely apart, he united them in indissoluble unity, the uncreated and the created. Herein is wisdom. When I was undone with no will to return to him and no intellect to, de to devise recovery, he came, God incarnate, to save me to the uttermost, is man to die my death, to shed satisfying blood on my behalf, to work out a perfect righteousness for me. O oh God, take me in spirit to the watchful shepherds and enlarge my mind. Let me hear good tidings of great joy, and hearing, believe, rejoice, praise, adore, my conscience bathed in an ocean of repose, my eyes uplifted to a reconciled father. Place me with the ox, ass, camel, and goat to look with them upon my Redeemer's face, and in him account myself delivered from sin. Let me with Simeon clasp the newborn child to my heart, embrace him with undying faith, exulting that he is mine and I am his. In him you've given me so much that heaven can give no more. In Jesus' name.